There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Before we start, a quick note. This episode is pretty heavy. We talk about addiction, depression, and even attempted suicide. So if those subjects are tough for you, just want to give you a heads up. The opioid crisis is hard to understand, and the people affected and their stories are often limited to simply the headlines. As the nation battles an opioid epidemic, the leading factor in today's overdoses is fentanyl. Overdose deaths topped 100,000 for the first time ever in 2021. Another school day, another suspected overdose, and parents are concerned. This time, it was a student inside Fairfax High School. A dangerous drug mixture being sold on the streets has caught the attention of federal authorities and agencies here in Maryland. It's called xylazine. Experts say it's responsible for a new wave of overdoses. The story of the opioid epidemic is long and complicated, but Angel knows it well. Angel Trainer is what they call me. Angela Trainer is my government name. <laughs> Angel is a former heroin addict turned recovery coach. She founded and runs Serenity Sisters, a network of recovery homes in Annapolis, Maryland, for those suffering from addiction. She is also the mother of an addict. I met Angel in an unfinished room of a new recovery center in Annapolis. We sat at a fold-up table with two plastic chairs. When we met, she looked tired. A man at one of her recovery homes had recently overdosed and died. This was after half a year of being drug-free. In the hours before we talked, she had been up all night talking with the police, trying to figure out what happened, and consoling the man's family. Angel, thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for coming out. Angel, you work on the ground day in and day out with those addicted to opiates. I've talked to scientists about the chemistry of opioids. I've talked to lawmakers about the policy decisions to stave off this epidemic. But I'm here to learn about the people, the people who you serve now and know so well. So as we start here, what's the first thing to know about those who suffer with addiction? The opposite of addiction is its not sobriety, it's connection. The people that live in my houses, I integrate them into the community through events. And it doesn't always work. I mean, the young man on Tuesday that, that lost his battle, lost his life, I was with him all day on Sunday at that basketball game. He was happy, he was laughing, he was helpful, mm. carrying things, joking around with people. And um, I don't know what switched on Tuesday in him. I don't know what switched, but something switched. And, you know, I'd be interested in knowing what was left in the baggie. Was it xylazine? Yeah. Because that stuff is like, what? I'm not, you know, I'm by no means am I a conspiracy theorist, right? I'm just not. I, it, the, the things in front of me are what they are. But people want to talk about terrorism, they better look in their backyards because this is some type of terrorism. It's not just taking out the people that it's killing. It's taking out not just that generation, but it's taking out the generation after because I have children in my life that have lost both parents to the disease. 
right? And how are those kids growing up? I mean, honestly, we're taking out a couple of generations. And it's just so deep. It's just so deep-seated, man. It's crazy. Grateful that I got out when I did because the way that I used, we would not be having this conversation. I'd be dead. I'm sure of it. Wow. Because that that was before fentanyl, really. Mm -hmm. It's everywhere. And then with the introduction of xylazine, like, God bless. And it's the addict brain. Yeah. Right? I'm just just this once or just a little bit. But today, man, a little bit will just take you out. Hmm. And Angel, before we go any further, let's talk about your story and your run-in with addiction. So I'm a person in long-term recovery. And what that means for me is that on September the 6th, 2007, I had had enough of myself, if you will. And that that came at the end of a 33-year journey of addiction. Um, you know, through that time, I, I bought a house. I got married. I raised my child. I raised some foster children and I didn't I just didn't see an issue with the things that I was doing I mean it started with you know I started drinking when I was 12 or 13 years old smoking cigarettes thinking I was cool Um, and then it just kind of moved from there and, and escalated I was a 15 year old single mom and things just went along you know I I didn't see that I was hurting people until mm. about 25 years into that addiction. I ran the gamut through alcohol and many other drugs. And in the end, I became a full-blown heroin addict. And um, I just lost my way. I, didn't, I was a full-grown adult, and I did not know how to handle life. Everyone is aware of the opioid epidemic and addiction. Everyone has someone they know that suffers from addiction in a very real way. But I think sometimes it's hard to pull back that curtain and understand what's going on and possibly that experience within the terrible cycle of addiction, what that's like and how it's difficult to get out of. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? I can tell you that when I was 12 years old and I took that first drink, never in a million years did I imagine that in the end I would be a heroin addict. That's not, I wasn't raised that way, right? My mother raised me right. Just something, I just didn't act right. And I couldn't, for the longest time, I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. And it wasn't until the very last, I was in a lot of treatment centers and IOPs and just in and out. And I ran the gamut, right? Psychiatric units. And and that last center that I was in, that counselor looked at me and they did not say, what is wrong with you? They said, Angel, what happened to you? Hmm. And that, that began my healing because the reality of it is, is that any person, most any person that suffers addiction, there has been some traumatic event in their childhood that made them feel less than and everybody's different i mean i've worked with countless countless individuals who have suffered from substance misuse and it's it's different for everyone you know at the end of it like we're we're all human beings we don't want to hurt people i didn't want to hurt my family i didn't want to hurt the people that i hurt the addiction just takes over and and for some people i know that sounds 
Some people will say that's just an excuse, but it's not. I mean, I've experienced it with myself and then now with what I do for a living, yeah. I see it every single day. And you know, you said that you kind of ran the gamut of the substances and such. In those moments, you know, what was what was going through your head? And I asked that question because I want people to understand people who are in this cycle. Gosh, I've been through every trend when it comes to substances. I've been through every one of those trends. Like I said, and at the end, I was a full-blown heroin addict. I never aspired to get there. I never aspired to be that person. And in the end, I didn't know who I was. Mm. I never, I didn't know who I was. I never imagined myself in the places that I ended up. And that's why I fight so fiercely to make a change today, to make a change within law enforcement, in our communities, with our decision makers, and um, just to pull that curtain back to, to show people that we do recover, we can get better, and we become the human beings that, you know, that our parents wanted us to be. You are now on the other side of recovery and actually actively helping, you know, people kind of get out of that cycle of addiction. For those listening who have loved ones that are within that cycle currently, what do you say to them? How do they interact with that loved one, you know, who is in that cycle? How do they help them the best way? The first thing that I can say is do not blame yourself. It's not your fault. It wasn't my mother's fault. It wasn't my son's fault that um that i was where i was and you know love them through it but protect yourself as well that can come in many forms i talk with a lot of parents and um you didn't cause it you can't cure it i had to be ready to make the step to go to recovery to to turn towards recovery Mm. And, you know, as hard as my mom tried, as hard as the judges tried, I had to be ready to do that. Mm. And I had conversations with some parents over the last 24 hours, and, and it's hard. I mean, it's hard for me to be able to, to talk with them, but the, I think the unique piece that I can bring to the table is not only have I lived through my own addiction and gotten into recovery, but I have a, I have a child that is in and out of active addiction. So I can, I can empathize with the families. And after the break, we'll talk about how hopelessness often surrounds the opioid crisis, whether it's those suffering from addiction or those who feel it's an impossible problem to solve. Angel says there's hope and she proves it. Coming up. So there's this idea of hopelessness that is often associated with opiates and those addicted to them. What do you say to those who think this? Um, I understand hopelessness. If you are listening and you are an active user, do not remain hopeless. Um, You can change, you can recover. My last day of active addiction I was hopeless to the point that I tried to take my own life. I had never done that before. So I understand that deep-seated hopelessness. Um, So there is hope. There's help. 
you can get help. Um, you can email me at serenitysister1 at gmail.com. Uh, the one is the numeral, not it is not spelled out. If you're listening and you're not either one of those and you, you come into the category of a community member that does not understand why we do what we do, I promise you, we don't want to. It's the, the addiction is the driver. And we need you too. I mean, we need those people that, that don't understand to come into the conversation so that we can help make a change. Mm. 2015, we started losing people at a record rate. And our decision makers noticed right, that the, the numbers were going up and the numbers continued to rise. And we were all like, oh my God, what is happening? And what happened was the shift between heroin and fentanyl. Yeah. And when fentanyl came into the picture, nobody understood and we couldn't understand why we were losing people that way. And now we don't understand why, if you know about fentanyl and you know it's out there, why are you still doing those things that you're doing? It's so deadly, in other words. Because it's deadly. I mean, it takes one, one time. That's it. One time. And, um, you know, one time. And you you can be gone from this earth. And, and the, the reality of it is, is that we need you. Um, you know, doing what I do for a living, it's, it's always there. You know, it's always there. And... It's, it's, it is tragic. It's just tragic. Mm. I think we all see the headlines, you know, we all see the numbers, but you see the people. I Um, do. What's that like? Um, I love my job. There are some days when I want to shake an individual that comes into one of our houses because I'm, I, you know, I'm trying to guide it, right? I'm trying to control the situation, which I know I can't control it. Right. Um, but I can tell you that when I started this journey with recovery housing, I never thought about the college degrees I would see that people got. I never thought that I would see them buying as many houses as, a, as they are, starting their own businesses, getting married. Well, you know what I mean? Like, I never thought about how many weddings I would go to and, you know, all of the joyful moments. Um, And those are the things that keep me going is the lives that are restored and the families that are reunited. I mean, that, that's the human side of it, right? And that happens. Absolutely. Serenity Sisters, to date, we have served over 1,700 individuals. Some of them haven't made it. Some of them come back over and over, and I always say to them, welcome home, right? Um, Because they're trying, like they're trying again. But then so many of them have gone on to to do those things and live a life well-lived. So it it does happen. And we'll circle back to this moment you described where you and your personal journey kind of flipped the switch and started to really recover what was that switch like, or is it impossible to describe? It's kind of hard to describe. I, like I said, on you know, my last decision in active addiction was to end my life, and it didn't happen. 
and I made it to treatment that morning. Um, and when I went to treatment, I didn't, I didn't really have the hope that it was going to be any different than any other time. I just, I knew that there had to be a change. I knew that um, I didn't want to live that life anymore. And with that, I had an awful lot of jail time hanging over my head. I'm not made for that. Even though I've been in and out of the system, I am not made for prison. I like to go barefoot and I like to feel grass under my feet. But I can't tell you that it happened overnight. It did not happen overnight. Um, it happened because I, I finally became teachable, right? I finally decided that I should just listen to other people because I, on my own, didn't know how to do it. Mm. And, um, and I did that. And it, it was really one day at a time that it happened. And I remember one of my first memories of thinking, oh, my God, I'm living a normal life. I was about six months into my recovery process, and I was, I think I was doing laundry or something, and, and it came to me that I couldn't remember the last time that I thought about using or not using. Whoa. Do you know, because it's when you're in active addiction, it's a daily, get what I need, how am I going to do it? I have to figure this out. Whoa. And and I just remember thinking, I don't remember the last time I thought about using or not using. And that that was an eye opener for me. And I think that was that was really the first time that I had any hope that perhaps I could maintain recovery. You do this work after recovering yourself and to me, you know, it seems like you kind of got out of this difficult place and you just turned around and went back in to help other people. You know, I think there's a big question in a lot of people's minds listening. You know, why, why do you do that? What motivates you? Um, I think I was just led to do this work. I mean, I, again, I went to college when I first got into recovery um, to become an addictions counselor. And six months before I graduated, I was like, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to sit across a desk. I want to walk side by side with that person and show them the journey that I've been able to take. Um, and it, it helps me as much as it helps them. Mm-hmm. Um, it helps me to remember what I don't want to go back to. And it helps me to restore hope to them that they can go somewhere different. Some days are not as easy as others, you know, because we have lost people. I mean, all those lives that I've seen restored, um, I've also seen lives that are lost, and, and that's just so tragic. And that's what I don't want to see happen. I don't think that I can single-handedly stop this opioid epidemic. Yeah. For me, it is we are all going to have to work together from all angles, law enforcement, crisis response, the, the individual in the community that's like, mm-mm, mm-mm. Stay away. Mm-mm, yeah. stay away from me. We need you. Mm. We need you to come in, and, and I, I want to understand why. Right? It's, it's all about working together and uh, building something new. Mm. So, yeah. Angel, thank you so much for your time and thank sharing you. your story and your work. 
Thanks. I'm an open book. If you have questions, get in touch with me via email. You heard the email, folks. You heard the email. We can we can talk. <laughs> I'm happy to talk to you anytime. So thank you so much for coming out. Yeah. Thanks for coming out and visiting My us. pleasure. And that'll do it for us today here on the DMV Download Podcast. This episode was heavy, so thank you for making the time and listening. This podcast is brought to you by WTOP News. Listen on 103.5 FM in the D.C. area, 107.7 FM in Virginia, and 103.9 FM in Frederick, Maryland. Online at WTOP.com and, of course, on the WTOP News app. Have a great week. We'll talk Wednesday.